Welcome to the Consortium Podcast, an academic audio blog of Kepler Education. Kepler is a consortium of independent classical Christian teachers unified by a shared vision for student flourishing. I'm Scott Postma, and I'm joined by Joffrey Swate, and we're going to be talking about classical education practically today. Wow. Okay, so the, is the rubber meeting the road? Is that what we're saying? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> or as somebody said, you're going to put the jelly on the bottom shelf so everybody can reach it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like that. I like that image <laughs> upon the toast of classical education. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, we we've been talking. Um, well, we've been talking a lot of uh, you know practical. Um, not practical, philosophical approach mm. to education. Yeah, um, some some bigger ideas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everything from deinstitutionalization to what does a liberal arts education consist of? Why is it important? And, you know, today we're going to have a very conversational approach to just what does this look like in practice or in the real world? Yeah. And, you know, it's going to be conversational because we we truly do believe. I mean, we believe that classical education is a thing. Mm-hmm. We talked about it being uh, definitely a broad stream, but a stream with banks. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And we believe that classical education is the best education for your child. Yeah. Um, that being said, you know, we don't want to be writing any recipes. Yeah. We, we truly believe that uh, that the, the family, that dad and mom, and interacting with the kids and considering their situation. They need to be making the decisions for their family. And we want the families who listen to us uh, to feel well equipped to make those decisions. So, you know, we're doing this conversationally. We're doing this anecdotally uh, because as you guys will hear, uh, Scott and I aren't on the same page or wouldn't execute uh, things always the same about everything. Yeah, absolutely. And it should be the same for you all. Well, and that's that is the joy or the glory of um what Kepler's project is all about is the fact that parents are empowered. It's it's not you know we say that our our goal is to empower parents by liberating teachers or right. empower families, but really what we mean by that is just reaffirming you already are empowered to make these decisions, and not every family is going to make the exact same decision. But there there is like you said a stream or a river that has banks, and so there are certain things that we would say is not a classical education both in you know, pedagogy and in content. Right. Um, but there are things within that river that a lot of people are going to choose differently. Yeah. And yeah, people are going to make different right decisions. Right. Yeah. <laughs> different right decisions. <laughs> I, I love that. You're still right. You know, even if it's different than what your neighbor did. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, well, maybe we get started here by talking about um, how does a family practically implement you know, mm. this idea of a classical education, let's just say, let's, let's use the old scenario where, you know, uh, what you, you know, you just drop into the world and, um, and you're supposed to get a classical education. What do you do today? What do you do tomorrow? How, how does a person go about practically getting this kind of education when all the world around us or, or, you know, the model we see is what we've been talking about that we shouldn't be pursuing, which is that kind of public school model. Yeah. So I I think we're going to have to, you know, in the beginning of of this episode, uh, revisit uh, some of the ideas that we've been unpacking over the last few episodes. Uh, But, you know, it's, it's great. I think that you, you mentioned the government schools right off the bat. Um, because as, as we talk about these ideas and then we, we talk about some of their practical outworkings and the decisions you as parents might make, what we don't want to be doing 
is letting the world dictate to us, mm-hmm. right? That's we don't right. want to be letting the government schools or government requirements dictate to us, even as we have to be realistic. We have to go, well, Johnny wants to go study engineering at state university. Yes. And that's something that we're behind. Um, so ultimately there are going to be certain steps you have to go through, but we want to avoid at all costs a, a box checking mentality. That's right. right. We are in charge of our, of our child's education. We understand that it's soul forming. And so that's what we're going to do, but we're going to do it in a way that's as clever as a serpent. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I love, you know, how you, you brought in the fact that it might be the pursuit of somebody to go study engineering at a, at a, you know, a state university, you know, you need the, you know, the certification, whatever, and the training. And there's nothing wrong with that, but there's a right way to do it in right. terms of, and there's probably a lot of different right ways of getting there. Um, but the one wrong way is letting the state dictate how you get there. Right. right? Yeah. So, um, so let's, yeah, let's revisit, you know, kind of what we were talking about before about what is, uh, you know, what is a classical education or what is a liberal arts education? And, you know, we, we distinguished the classical or, or liberal arts education from, which is where engineering would fall into is like the servile arts and the fine arts. Right. So in our last episode, we talked about, what were called the servile arts or what we call the trades today might fall into some of those STEM subjects. Okay. These are the kinds of practical, you know, outworkings. Um, Can I just interrupt with a, just, uh, (laughs) you say, yeah, so patiently, but uh, you'll realize sooner you're just indulging me in a, (laughs) uh, just a, a little, a little, uh, soapbox I enjoy climbing onto sometimes. And it's conversational. So you can do it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What if I told you, that medical doctors who are held in such high prestige in our society um, are practicing a servile art. They are uh, technicians. I would absolutely agree with you. And that's a good, I think that's a good way to think about because mm-hmm. we, we, we hold medical doctors up in very high esteem in our society. Um, and in, in Latin America, engineers are the ones who are, who are held up to, mm-hmm. to a very, and some of that is a negative reflection of just post enlightenment thinking. And, yep. um, but for us, the positive that we as Christians should take from that is we truly believe in a liberal arts education for everybody. That's right. For the lowliest of professions even the lowly profession of medical doctor. No. Right. <laughs> but, but, and, and really even using lowly, I know is, is, I mean, it's, 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 I'm, I, I suppose I'm, I'm, I'm being uh, fabulously and controversially rhetorical. Sure. Right. Cause sure. it's, you know, there is no such thing as a low calling. That's the point. Right. Right. So, you know, go out and we've talked about, Hey, you know what, you, if, if you get a liberal arts education, you, you're going to learn to flip hamburgers because you're going to own the burger shop. Right. Yeah. Right. So and, and it, you're, gonna, you're being trained to be a free man and free woman. And, and you get to choose whatever that vocation, whatever that calling is. That's right. And, and there's not a low calling in that. But I love that you use the medical doctor illustration because I think it actually um, really highlights what we're talking about in terms of um, making a distinguishing, you know, we're distinguishing between the arts, but we're also recognizing that even if you're going to be a technician of sorts, you know, a, right. a technician on human beings, uh, I have a doctor friend who always says, I'm just a plumber, a little bit upstream from the, <laughs> yeah. from the, the plumber that you're, you know, you usually think right. of, and he's a surgeon, you know, so, um, so the idea, um, that 
Well, we can go back and see that the medical doctors, you know, previously, um, they didn't get, they didn't go to medical school, you know, or what medical school was, was an apprenticeship. The apprentice. That's yeah, right. Yeah. So that's, that's how a doctor became a doctor. But we want doctors that have had yeah, a we liberal do. arts education yeah, we do. <laughs> because now we have people who think humanly yes. about their profession, their we trade. We have ethical doctors. That's right. And, and we need ethical doctors. And I think one of, you know, one of the things we can look at today is the fact that there is a lack of ethics in the medical practice today, when in, which is reflection of the fact that uh, medical training has been completely removed from a liberal arts education. It has no soul. Right. And that's why you can have people who are doctors who will try everything possible to sustain a person's life. It's terminal. They know it, but I'll do this procedure on you that's going to cost your family, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and you might get another three weeks yep. of bedridden existence. And they see that as their job. Right. Because yeah. they are they're, they're, they are repairmen without ethics. That's right. Right. And all of our repairmen of whatever type should have, I mean, they should work under God, right? right. They should yeah. have ethics. Well, even uh, Plato, our Socrates, Plato Socrates, um, had an understanding of this where he said that mm -hmm. when you remove the sacred, anything is possible in the sciences. I mean, this goes all the back, you know, pre-Christian, this kind of thinking. Right. So you you have to have the ethical um, that guides whatever you do, whether it's a doctor or a sanitation worker. Um, and so, okay, so coming back here, we have the servile arts, we have the fine arts, right? And the fine arts would be sculpture, painting, music, that's all part of the fine arts. But the liberal arts, these are the ones that are based on philosophy, where John of Salisbury would say the philosophizing arts, yep. okay, where we learn to think well about the world that we live in yep. and prepare the soul in a harmonized way to be able to receive virtue and wisdom. Amen, brother. Yeah. Will you indulge me in another aside? <laughs> uh, you, as soon as you said, this is a conversational, conversational yeah. podcast uh, all over that. Please. Uh, I mean, and just thinking a little more about, uh, about the, the technicals. We, we've talked a little bit about how technique, mm -hmm. you know, technicians yep. work of any kind. And we don't mean vocationally, like just the, the technical aspect of any field of labor. Mm -hmm. Um, it it's potentially dehumanizing. Sure. Right? It needs soul. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm imagining that the the family's kind of thinking about because the potential shock of you know you know and it just shows our own biases. Like we'll say, oh yeah, you well you can own a sandwich shop or or be a plumber and be a free man, and and people are like, oh yeah yeah that's that's nice, just a plumber like that doctor you mentioned said <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, oh oh medical doctor like is really you're reevaluating things. So Scott just talked about the fine arts. So I want you to know that I consider myself a bit of a poet. Yeah. I love the arts. My wife is is a painter. She is a fine artist. Her degree is in fine arts. Um, the liberal arts are the highest. Sure. And it, as much as it may hurt the listener to think, oh, a medical doctor, a lowly technician, we're doing the same thing you know, to, to in my family. Right. We are, we are artists <laughs> by temperament, by design. Like, the, you know, we, we, we love those, those things and we mm -hmm. love doing those things. Uh, also lower than the liberal arts. Sure. You know, the, the, the way to form a human being is to study the liberal arts. Well, and that's, that's the, the beauty of understanding this it helps you recognize that whatever vocation you pursue 
can be pursued in a way that is, you know, in a philosophizing way. And a lot of people don't, a lot of people don't like philosophy or a lot of people push back against it. But I mean, I think C.S. Lewis's quote, I love it. Um, you know, that good philosophy must exist if for no other reason, because bad philosophy has to be answered. We have to learn to think. And, And so, you know, the idea of philosophy, Philo and Sophia, you know, the love of wisdom in a right way, we want to pursue wisdom. And the liberal arts education is the kind of education that prepares the soul you know, to be free, to be virtuous, to right. think well, not just, you know, um, can we make this car? You know, can we make these, the, you know, can we send a man to the moon? But the question is, should we? Yes, right. right. We have to be able to ask the should we questions, you know, should we be able, you know, we may be able to, yeah. but is it, the, can we clone human beings? Yeah. But should we? And these are important questions, but, you know, we're, we're operating at a pretty high level here. And I think it may be tempting to think, uh, you know, my, my kids never have to operate at these levels. Well, first of all, we see these things intruding in our lives more and more. Every day. But we also have to realize um, that, you know, everything must be examined. Your, your kids are going to be parents. Right. They need to know why they do everything with their kids. That's right. The lowliest thing. Why am I teach? Why am I potty training them now and not later? Mm-hmm. Well, you better know. Sure. And it may be that the answer is different for different families. Right. Right. Or that there was more than one right answer for this one kid with these, this one set of parents. But well, you better know why. And every parent. And here, here's something really interesting. That you you know I'm going to riff off what you just said, but um, every you know every child is different. So as you're learning how to be a parent, let's mm-hmm. say, and thinking about these kinds of questions you're not going to have the same answer for each child. And a liberal arts education is going to help you to be able to see some of the nuances and the, in the, the spectrum Absolutely. of possible right answers because you have different children. And the knock on effect or the downstream effect of, um, of what you do uh, mm-hmm. with, with your children, right? You need to see, you know, you, you want to be able to see not just in that moment, is this particular act right right now? Yeah. But you need to have the wisdom and the context and the education, the formation yeah. uh, to be able to see, okay, well, then after this, it will be this or that. And then from there, uh, these other things are going to happen. And there's there's nothing too low to apply this sort of vision to. Right. Um, so, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I think we're seeing a little bit uh, so far in this episode of how much you and I enjoy each other's company. Sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> you have a, a quote that I think could really, um, you know, talk a little, you know, kind of reset some of the, the conversation about some of the bigger ideas. Yeah, I, I think probably what I'll do is paraphrase it because it's, a, it's a fairly long quote. Um, and then we, maybe we could go from there to then, okay, well, well now we're talking academically because we've been talking a little, you know, a little above the academic world. Sure. Right? And then let's get into the nuts and bolts of, of the academics and the academic choices for families. Yeah, so if we, if we start by an understanding in a practical sense of, of how the liberal arts work by learning to read, um, you know, and, and to be able to enter into the, the world of human achievement really is, mm. is a, a real sum, summarized way of, of talking about the liberal arts. I love that particular yeah. way of expressing it. So John of Salisbury, I'm going to go back to him. John of Salisbury, who was um, the secretary, by the way, to Thomas Beckett, another famous mm. character in history, yes. Archbishop of Canterbury that Henry II had, you know, axed. You know, read, the, read Murder in the Cathedral by T.S. Eliot. Oh, yes. There you go. <laughs> Um, so, so this, um, uh, the secretary, John of Salisbury, um, the way he describes liberal arts basically is based on a Trinitarian understanding of the world, right? Mm. So the way the Trinity operates in harmony, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit 
operates in a uh, harmony, the rest of the universe also operates in this same sort of harmony. Okay? And he goes on and, and discusses how the, you know, the universe looks this way. But an education of the soul, which is a liberal arts education, helps us to understand how the human soul also operates in harmony the way the rest of the world operates in harmony. Okay? Mm. So it's a, we could say liberal arts education is a sort of harmonized education. And one of the ways that the ancients expressed this, um, this idea that, that John's talking about, is understanding the human in the soul in three parts. There's the noetic, which is mm -hmm. kind of the thinking part of the soul. Then there is the thumatic or the spirited, and then the epithumatic, which is our, you know, the, the desires. Okay. One of the fears of a completely democratic education is that human beings tend to be led by their epithematic, right? Mm -hmm. And so a democratic state, a democratic culture is always going to be led by its baser passage, uh, passions and usually described as the bed and the table, okay? So those are the passions and you can boil it down to that, mm -hmm. you know, and you can look around and see that's happening. But the right kind of education helps us understand that the noetic, which is the thinking part, will direct the soul to that which is wise and virtuous, but it has little power to execute, right? So you see that big chunk of chocolate cake sitting there and you know that I probably shouldn't have that third piece. <laughs> mm -hmm. And your noetic says that would not be a good idea. But then your appetitive says, hmm, yeah, but it sure looks good. Right? Yeah. That appetitive nature is always stronger. So it requires the thumatic, the spirited part, the courage. That's where courage is. Mm. And discipline. It requires that part to tell the epithumatic calm down and listen. You're making me feel very bad about my diet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and the noetic. So C.S. Lewis summarized this in the abolition of man when he said that the head rules the belly through the chest. Mm, yeah. mm -hmm. And that's the kind of education that we're talking about, you know, in a summarized way, the kind of education is the kind of education that helps students learn to rule you know, let the head rule the belly through the chest. That's wisdom and virtue. Right. Yeah. Our God is not our belly. No, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's wisdom. I mean, you know, that's that's a wise and virtuous kind of lifestyle when we can operate on that way, yeah. you know, on that level. So then if if we are, you know, so, you know, we, we, we don't want to be men without chests. Mm -hmm. We don't want to be a man whose God is their belly. So, you know, this this is part of how we're thinking about the formation. I love the word formation, by the mm -hmm. way, uh, when, when talking about education, because yes. I think that's one of the aspects that we've lost in our use of the word education mm -hmm. in, in English. Um, but in the education and the formation of, of our children and the raising of our children, you know, we, I have a 15 year old, I have a 16 year old. And we're deciding what to study this year, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so then I have exactly the vision you laid out because I understand that, th you know, this is a part of the spiritual growth of my child, the spiritual formation of my child. Um, and, and there's nothing greater than that, whether he wants to be a doctor or not, whether he wants to fly to the moon or not, whether he wants to write the great American novel or not. Mm -hmm. The important thing is you know, what we've just spoken about. Yeah. But... I also am, am balancing, you know, these other, you know, the trajectory of my kid, the things that, that uh, he's going to want to do. Uh, and then I'm also balancing the environment around me. Sure. Right. So th then what does that look like? Well, I, I want to ask you to indulge me for a second on a, mm -hmm. a very brief aside that answers the question. But you brought up the idea that formation and education, you know, you know, are, are the same. And it's great because the word educare, that's where we get our word education, yes. is 
is to cultivate, is to form, mm -hmm. you know, is to shape. And so that is what our education is all about, is spiritual formation. That's yeah. really, if you boil it down to, that's what education is. Well, you know, we're doing an episode on, on language soon, yeah. on, on teaching language soon. And uh, so you guys, you know, get ready for that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, there's uh, th this cultivation that you're talking about with uh, with, with the the verb, the you know, the root verb in, in to educate in Latin. You know, it's the same verb that we get the word duke from, like leading from. Yeah. Uh, but r recognizing that education is more than leading out, it is exactly what you said, cultivation, and that that's in the idea of that Latin verb educare. Um, so what I always picture is. Uh, Taking someone by the hand, mm, yeah, yeah, and and walking them, yes, walking them down the road. Well, so your question then was, what does this look like practically speaking? And and right. probably the best way, and and I want to be careful of this, um, but but I'm going to lay out a a sort of prescription, a very loose prescription, or, yeah. or let's call this the Our river with the Our audience is going banks. to faithfully remember the caveats we gave at the beginning of the episode, right, audience? Yes, <laughs> don't forget. So. One of the ways, and and I'll I'll rely on Cassidorius because I do think you know while we we want to be very careful about getting into a rigid curriculum, mm -hmm. you know, um, because I think that's part of the way the modern education system has tried to form and shape is is through this rigid rigid curriculum, lockstep, you know, grade advancement kind of thing. And so we want to avoid that. However, we do want to rely on the you know if we're entering into a world of human achievement one of the great achievements of men like Boethius and Cassidorius and Salisbury and in some of these we've talked about is recognizing that human beings learn best in a particular way in a mm -hmm. harmonized sort of way and so one of the ways that the ancients came up with or the medieval christian you know teaching on education is what we call the trivium and the quadrivium mm -hmm. right or the seven liberal arts and trivium means three ways, quadrivium means four ways. And so we start with the trivium, grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Um, and I'll just make this a little quick aside. I don't necessarily think that those <laughs> necessarily correspond uh, with, uh, you know, uh, child psychology in, in how child, you know, children respond. Although I know that's a big proponent. In You're talking about like development through phases of, uh, I'm talking about Dorothy Sayers, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you're trying not to say that. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I, I think, you know, certainly I think she observed something. Um, but you know, anyway, I, I would be very careful about making that a prescription. Yeah, but you know, I, I love that you that you brought that up. You know, so yeah, you said you said you'd be careful about making that a prescription. I and you know, I'm obviously often asked about you know, well, well what is classical education? Uh, and I often use the framework that, that you just you just talked about. Um, and I think I think that the the, the mentality uh, mm -hmm. that is important to have. Uh, both, you know, as I'm speaking, and and you know, though I would want my my hearers to have. Um, is that you know we don't want to be making a classical education match the modern world. Right. It, it sort of is what it is, and when we say it is what it is, like we need to have a very organic understanding of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Again, that broad stream with banks, but still a, a broad stream, and and not only is it very individual uh, per child, but really, uh, it we want to stay away from over labeling or over identifying 
That's that's the thing I'm most concerned about. I don't disagree that grammar, logic, and rhetoric have a particular trajectory, right? Yeah. You have to know the grammar of language before you can start using it, you know, to reason with. Yeah. And then, you know, in order to communicate and persuade, you've got to be able to think well about it. Well, you know, everything has uh, grammar, logic, and rhetoric. That's right. Right. But, but, but beyond just everything having a grammar, logic, and rhetoric, it's all fuzzy mm-hmm. and all mixed in together. Right. And saying we as Christians, human beings, like we see labels and we want to do things like, well, justification is exactly this and sanctification is exactly this. And first you do that, this and then you do that. And so then we look, okay, well, grammar is precisely this. And of course, we need to define things. Well, and even yeah, even if we were to go back and quote some of the people we were just talking about, John Salisbury and and, and Hugh St. Victor and, you know, you know, a, a variety of these different educators. Um, John Salisbury, for example, would talk about dialectic. And yes. in that, he would mean both grammar and logic. Right. Okay? And then rhetoric being separate. And then others, I think um, – I'm, I'm drawing a blank. There are others who would see rhetoric as actually preceding, yeah. um, you know, grammar and logic. Well, one of the things that we do is, you know, we, we practice this anachronism of, of reading people out of their out of their context. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes the, the work that it would take to get all of that historical context is would be overwhelming. Sure. Right. So what it means instead is that we need to be flexible ourselves, right? Not be out there constantly searching for recipes or step-by-step processes. And, and I think this very much touches on our mission as, as, as an educational platform. So, you know, Scott has already mentioned so our mission is to empower families by liberating teachers. Right. And right now we're talking to the family, the family side of things. Um, but you know, it's not, we don't think that we have some sort of special tools to make that happen or to see it as our own particular mission. Uh, We believe that the Christian church, that families in the Christian church ought to be changing their mindset about all of this. That's right. right? Like we are not the prophets of empowering families. Families are empowered. They, yeah, they already possess that. And That's if, right. If if we're saying, you know, you <laughs> you have the authority, and you're going, oh yeah, I do, then you can realize, you know, what we talked about before you've been schooled. Yeah. yeah. So we're hoping to be helpful in that yeah. assumption of right. that authority. We we want to come alongside and affirm and encourage families to recognize you have that authority. Right. So and when you see labels, when you see when, when we're using and labels is perhaps too derogative of a of a term. But when you hear us defining things and talking about terms, uh, we want always for you guys to have that in the back of your minds that, you know, it's, it's inevitable that there be some separation of things as you, as you go through and you name them. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and they, they do deserve different names. They ought to have different names, but we also ought to see how these things work as a whole. Um, and, and how we ought to approach them holistically. Yeah. So we, we're talking about them, um, you know, in various categories, you know, we're, we're talking about them categorically so that we can speak about, you know, the, the particular elements that are present in, in these various. I concepts. was trying to find a word and I failed to and it finally came to me. We're, we're, we are, we are, we have a taxonomy in uh, play here. Yeah, sure. Right? But taxonomy is not real life. Well, a taxonomy gives us categories to think in. Exactly. You know, and, it's important. And, yeah. But but when we operate in the day-to-day, it's not always going to look this way. So, you know, just kind of coming full circle back to this, um, <laughs> I, I hate using that, uh, you know, I'm going to circle back around. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, so 
coming back around to what we were just talking about, we have this trivium, we have the quadrivium. Um, there's a little bit of ambiguity in how all this plays out, but there is there is a basic trajectory of we want to start with the grammar of any subject. Um, you have to be able to read to do any of it, mm-hmm. right? So we want to start with the grammar, logic to be able to think well about it, know what's true and what's not true, and then be able to communicate, right? And rhetoric, you know, it's more than communication, but it ultimately boils down to communication, yes. right, in a persuasive way. Well, then, then we move into, and and not always exactly in this order, but it is a good order to you know to consider. Um, we move into the quadrivium, which is made up of four um, you know basic concepts in a taxonomy here. So we have math, which is just number. Um, so learning to think about number and number, ironically is more abstract than we often think. When we think of the number one, you know, you, you think of like this one item, but really what is one, you know, so yeah. you have to learn to think about number in this abstract way. Then we want to think about number spatially, you know, in, in space, which is geometry. Mm-hmm. Then we want to learn to think about number in time. So frequencies, um, that's music. And then we want to learn to be, to be able to think about number in time and space, which is astronomy. Yes. The music of the spheres. Here comes Kepler once again, <laughs> like are the historical figure here we are go. named after. <laughs> well, I, I find, you know, here, here's something just on a practical. Um, uh, so when I went after I graduated high school, I, I went into the military and I studied electronics. Um, I basically got the equivalent of what would be an, uh, an associate's degree in avionic electronics and worked on B-52 bombers. And so one of the things that we dealt with was amplitude modification and frequency modifications and, um, and, and all sorts of, of things. And I took high school band, mm-hmm. right? So I was in the public school, but I took uh, jazz band and marching band and, you know, all kinds of band, played the saxophone. And all of a sudden I realized that there is actually a connection between frequency, <laughs> you know, in, in electronics, you know, everything from your computer to your car, and to learning to play music. Yeah. These two things, as you know, as different as they may seem, operate on a very similar um, you know, uh, spectrum, you know, using frequency and, and amplitude and all of that that goes into it. And you begin to realize, boy, the world is more connected than I ever realized that it was. And that's the thing that's gonna keep your son who's a medical doctor from being a mere technician. That's right. Yes. You to be able to see the world as as a whole. Right. So, and that's what, that's what a liberal arts education is supposed to help us do is to see how the world is interconnected in all of its truth, which comes back to the very name. And we've mentioned this before, but where university comes from is to realize that all knowledge is one, right? you know, all right. based in God. Yeah. I mean, you, you used the word harmony before we've used it uh, in this episode, we've used the word integration a lot. Yep. And so not only, you know, does Kepler offer integrated humanities courses and, you know, that's done a lot. Um, but each of these liberal arts and sciences, uh, integrate and interact with each other sure and you know perhaps even reinforce each other uh, make up for certain you know if, if you only studied a certain thing um, you would lack perspective and lack knowledge and they feed each other they reinforce each other um, you know there's a reason to sort of been you know received wisdom mm-hmm. uh, for a little while is that it's there's there, there's a full-on integration it is fully integrated and in some of the integration um 
that that we really highlight, you know, in a, in a practical sense, is you know one of the the courses we offer is what we call integrated humanities, right? And the reason we do that instead of a student taking a you know English class or a history class and you know or you know literature and philosophy is they learn to read primary sources in an integrated fashion. So they're reading not only the history and mm-hmm. studying the history of that time, but they're also looking at the philosophy. What were the, what were the ideas that were, you know, moving a certain time period and what, what are the things being written about, you know? And so you're beginning to see the world in an integrated way. Right. And just the integrated humanities shows, I mean, it, beyond its own self, if I can say this well, beyond its own self, it teaches students and parents how to look at all of their education in a more integrated way. Yes. So, And that all your education, I think, is, is really crucial because we have talked a good bit about our integrated humanities classes in, in the past. And I think that that's, that's a, a place where it's easy for people to see, oh, mm-hmm. I, it makes sense to me that you would integrate history with literature, for that's example. Right. Yep. Okay. Well, what about integrating algebra or calculus with literature? What about integrating right, the biological sciences? And so that's one of the reasons I think that astronomy is really just a, just a, a peak example of how this education can work. Sure. Right. Because, you know, when, when you study astronomy, you know, and, and that's just, just it, it, there are other w- ways you can you can see this. But when you study astronomy, you get this perspective of, wow, it's all coming in. Uh, we're studying the achievements of, of man right. for our betterment. And so suddenly I am seeing, I'm seeing space, I'm seeing time, I'm seeing music, I'm seeing mythology, I'm seeing storytelling, I'm seeing history. Like all of it is mixing together. And ideally it's mixing together and, you know, it's possible to take an astronomy course, which is just a veiled mythology course. You're right. That's sort of a bummer. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to actually calculate the path a rocket should take from Florida to Mars? <laughs> With all of that in the background, right. or to the moons of Jupiter, and you know who Io was or is, right? Yeah. <laughs> but but it all integrates. It all it all mixes in, right? From Cape Canaveral to Io, and it's all in this context. It's not just math for you. It's humanity. It is, and you humanity. can get the rocket there, and you <laughs> and, and you get the yeah, you get the rocket there. There's a sense in which you get the rocket there even better, right? Um, mm-hmm. you're, you're not just getting, that's right. You're not just getting the rocket there. You know, even a rocket can be sent off ethically. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what you're describing when you're talking about you know everything from Cape Canaveral to you know thinking about you know Io and 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 you know Greek mythology, you're talking about again a universe of human achievement, you know, mm-hmm. and how you know everything from you know. Even the planets being named has a story behind it, right? Right. How the medieval person and the modern person thought about these different, you know, constructs of of what the universe might look like. But all along, you have to know some math. You have to know some mythology. You have to know language. You have to know how to logically discern certain things. By So you need to know what's fallacious and what's not. Right. Um, and then you have to know how to communicate it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, as we've been, you know, we, we said that the this episode is called Classical Education Practically. And how practical have you really been, Scott and Joffrey? Well, I'll tell you how practical we've been. This sort of education and thinking about it, you know, 
in specific terms, right? So we're talking about geometry now, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, it's, you know, you and I indulge ourselves a little in talking a lot about, you know, these integrated humanities courses and, and, and the, 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 the first things you think of when you think of liberal arts, because those are the areas we work in, yeah. right? Uh, but there's a reason Kepler has the offerings uh, that we have. And w- when you start thinking about the seven liberal arts and sciences, um, suddenly you're realizing that you're giving your child everything they need to succeed in this world. And not simply in a contramundum way, mm-hmm. although we hope that you all will live contramundum, mm-hmm. uh, but also in a way that that gives advantage and prepares you practically. Right. Uh, and so, you know, Think, think about a, a, a student counselor at some local government school and, you, you know, you've been homeschooling and you've decided to transfer, transfer to a local central high, right? And you bring your transcript to them and, you know, and you're coming to this institution. We've been mm-hmm. talking about deinstitutionalization and we imagine these systems as if they were not fueled and manned by humans, but they are. <laughs> And so you sit in front of the student counselor and, you know, I'm the student advisor for, for Kepler. So I'm, I'm putting myself under fire too, but I hope you treat me the same way. I'm going to urge you to treat this, this person. So you sit in front of this counselor and then you show your transcript and they're saying, oh yeah, this looks good. This looks good. Oh, I'm not so sure about this. Not this one. Right. What that's, that counselor is exercising their own discretion, their own perceived wisdom in making these decisions for you. They're discriminating. Yeah. Yes, of That's course. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Even in the, in the positive <laughs> sense, right? They're That's absolutely right. discriminating. Um, That's what you should be doing. Mom well, and dad should be the ones making those. And if you do that uh, with a classical education, your child will graduate from high school with not only the soul formed, right? You know, ideally and in a good family environment, um, but you know, not only with the soul formed, but with, all of what they need at every level to succeed in in university or whatever career they're going to take. And that includes, and I mean, I've been trying to not use this phrase since the first time I used it early in the episode, checking the boxes. Well, but, but yeah, that's what we have, re- when we think about an institutionalized society, we've all been trained to check the boxes, but it doesn't matter where a, a, a child who grows up and goes to work or, you know, where they're being educated in, in terms of once you get past all the box checking, no matter what, what it is you, you fill in anything in this blank, whenever you get past the box checking, it's human beings. Yep. Yep. It always gets boiled down to human beings and human relationships. And that's why in past episodes, we talked about AI and writing, or you ask somebody like, you know, Elon Musk or something that, you know, some of these, these high performing, you know, tech companies, and they're going to say the most valuable thing you can offer are those soft skills or those human skills, that ability to make good judgments, the ability to, to think well about this. And what we've done in using your transcript illustration, what we've done is we have abdicated our own ability to make these good judgments to somebody else that we perceive right. is more of a professional or this institution who has a, you know, uh, for whatever reason, they have the authority, they have the power to do that. So what I'd like to do is really encourage our our parents uh, to be thinking, you know, instead of, you know, thinking about what well, I as a homeschooler. I have the freedom of choice Mm -hmm. Uh, once I take care of what is being required of me by this or that worldly authority, right? So I have these boxes I need to check 
and I'm just going to try to wiggle around it. And, you know, I'm going to you know, make as many of these free decisions as I can, but I also have these other businesses to take care of, these other things to take care of. What if the way you thought about it was, I'm going to overwhelm those things, mm-hmm. right? There's, I'm, I'm going to go over the top on this, right? There's, you know, there's, <laughs> there's no state requirement in this great nation of ours that would not be more than fulfilled by a plenary classical education. Right. Right. You know, so astronomy is not a waste of time in the context of these seven liberal arts and sciences. Right. Um, You you can take calculus in, you know, within a classical education context. Um, You know, we can, we can overwhelm these things. We, we are bigger than they are. Well, and, and what I what I think I'm hearing you say is the fact that when a person gets a classical education, and, and we have a diploma track ourselves that kind of lays out some of the basic re, you know requirements, uh, and most of those follow you know some some sort of um, understanding of what the states are going to expect. Right. Um, but when you fulfill, let's say I'm just using as an arbitrary example our diploma track that that we have designed, you'll meet far exceed any of the state requirements, uh, you know, whatever the state, the box the state wants you to check, you'll far exceed that. Yes. And and you don't have to follow our diploma track necessarily. I'm just using that as a model, but whatever, if you gave your child a liberal arts education, you're, you're going to far exceed anything, you know, that the state is going to require. Right. Right. You know, and we, we have to be quite, quite honest that uh, we have a missionary zeal uh, for this sort of work and we understand and we love that most Kepler families um, you know, they take a few classes with us. Right. We are a part of how they homeschool, but we really hope to be helpful also in how they think about their whole, right? right? Even if they're not diploma track students. Yeah, we, we're, we're basically offering, you know, in, in the, you know, the side of Kepler where we're, we're just providing some courses or offering some help with some good teachers, you know, who are masters in their field to supplement whatever the parents are doing. Right. Right. But part of our motto is to choose your teacher. Right. So, you know, we're again, putting that back to the parents saying, this is your choice and you get to meet the teachers. You can, you know, connect with them, find out, you know, more about them and choose which teacher you're going, you know, you're going to, um, have teacher child astronomy or, or math or integrated humanities or whatever it is. But ultimately it's the education you're providing. And just like you might hire somebody to give them piano lessons or teach them, you know, guitar, you may hire somebody to help, you know, fulfill that one part. But ultimately it's the parent who has control of that. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think we'd want to leave our families with, with the thought that, you know, if, if they are providing uh, a fulsome classical Christian education, in, in the way that they, as they've been considering and, and growing in wisdom and growing in knowledge, um, want to do, mm-hmm. uh, that that is going to be more than enough. Yeah. I, and when we're thinking about the perspective of what the world asks of us. Well, I want to, this is going to seem way arbitrary, <laughs> but I, it just brought to my mind an anecdote that might be a good anecdote to, to end on. Um, and it goes back to your transcript uh, illustration a few moments ago mm-hmm. about taking control of your education in in terms of, um, and, and this isn't directly related to classical education, but it's directly related to the way that we perceive sometimes that institutions have more mm-hmm. authority or understanding. And this goes back to my own education. When I, I went uh, first to a community college and I was thinking, what do I want to study? And I'm going to study journalism. 
And so when I met with a student counselor, the community college was a two-year college, and the plan was I was going to transfer to UNLV uh, to the four-year school. And so when I sat down with him, said, here's what I'm thinking about doing, and he said, no, you don't want to take the um, the journalism degree from us uh, because UNLV doesn't accept all these credits in their journalism program. I'm like, wait a minute, you're both Nevada State schools, you know, literally down the road from each other, and they don't take these credits? He said, no, you'd have to redo most of this at UNLV. What you would want to take is the creative writing because more of those credits transfer to the four-year state school. And really, all of a sudden, it dawned on me at that moment that a lot of this is just about dollars, right? <laughs> There's a motivation. <laughs> that, uh, uh, yeah, this, I mean, you know, you got to understand, you know, younger person, but yeah. you know, the motivation here had nothing to do with my academics or what was going to help me become an educated person. It was about what hoops, what boxes I had to jump through. And I think at that moment was one of those reality checks that you realize these institutions don't have the, you know, they're not, you know, it's, it's the wizard of Oz, right? Yeah. It's the guy behind the curtain yeah. know, playing the game. And, and, you know, they're structurally incapable of looking after you. Right. Well, why would you want them and, to anyway? Yeah. You, you, know? you wouldn't want them to, and they don't want to. So might as well just take your own responsibility, you know, take the responsibility that you possess and, uh, and, you know, Educate your children and to the glory of we, God. That's yeah. right. And that's how we've been practical in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope we've offered some practice and, and kind of as an extension from, from last week talking about what does it look like to get practically a classical Christian education. And our encouragement would be to you is to educate your children and, and give them the tools that they need to read, to write, to do math, to understand the world they live in and help them enter into the world of achievement. And that mm -hmm. may not look the same for each child and it may not look the same for each family. And while there are some great tools and some heritage that we can look to for some guidance, um, it doesn't always have to be the final authority. You are the final authority under yeah. God. Amen. Overwhelm them with awesomeness, y'all. Amen. God bless. <laughs>